And we are live, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Project Egg Show. I'm your host, Ben Gothard, and today we have the honor of speaking with Avi Negrian. How are you doing today, Avi? Hey, Ben. I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks for having this call. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to chat with you today. I know you're making big waves in the uh, the, the technology space and the marketing space. Um, I know you're doing some amazing things. So I really wanted to, uh, I'm really excited to ask you, what is your story? Ooh, depends how long, uh, how far back you want me to go. All but, the way. Very, all the way. Very beginning. Okay. Good. So basically, um, I think since the very early days, I was always into entrepreneurship, uh, which to some extent might be strange because uh, I uh, was born like in still back then communist uh, Romania. And my parents didn't have a lot of entrepreneurship spirits uh, in them. So I don't know where, where I got that from. Uh, but then I was also into, always into like business and technology. And then I, I went to university to study uh, the technology side. But then I also studied business, um, tried a couple of times to build a few uh, technology startups, failed, uh, went uh, to get a proper job uh, so I can uh, learn more on somebody else's dime. Um, and then uh, once um, I felt the entrepreneurship itch uh, that was itching me too hard, uh, and thanks to some uh, savings which I uh, had from the corporate career, I decided, okay, I'm going to give it one more proper try. And then um, I went uh, again full-time uh, into my previous startup, which uh, is Nugget, uh, which failed, <laughs> but uh, which got us to Social B, uh, which is my current startup that, uh, that I'm working on. That's awesome. So let's talk about in the beginning. Um, I really want to understand more about why you why you wanted to be an entrepreneur in the first place. And I know you talked about it a little bit, but like, where did that come from? Where did where did uh, where'd you get the itch from? I'm not entirely sure. I think I have this um, cu curiosity to learn how things are made, how how things are. Um, happening in the world. Uh, also, uh, I have a growth mindset. So probably that also contributes uh, because I, I know a lot of entrepreneurs, they really focus on growth, both personal and business wise. I always like to know um, how businesses are made. I even from an early age, I uh, used to love uh, to read like business magazines, like Forbes, especially back in the day when they used to have like these old school printed magazines for the ones that uh, still remember them with the Forbes top uh, 100 and 300 and 500 most uh, richest uh, men and women in the world and so on. So um, I, I think somehow I got uh, attracted to this space uh, without having any like real background that would show why I was attracted to it. So it seems like it was this curiosity of why things work the way they are, how things were built mixed with an early exposure to business and it seems like it seems like you almost got inspired by some of the wealthiest people in the world and that all kind of came together to to start building this this entrepreneurial uh, mindset of yours yeah i think so too and uh, even though as i said my parents weren't really entrepreneurial but um, the the communist regime fell in romania while i was uh, about five and people started to create businesses around me. And even though I was quite uh, young at that age, I was starting to see small businesses uh, pop up here and there. And I was 
told my parents like, why don't we also try to create something? And why don't we also try to do something? Um, it never happened. So then uh, I guess a few years uh, needed to pass by so I could do that on my own. So what was that? What was that really like? Because I feel like a lot of people have never had the experience of actually being in a in a communist country, um, and and especially in a transition point where that that changed, and and that is a very dramatic change uh, from from my understanding. So what was that actually like being there in that moment of change? Well, I was obviously too too young to really appreciate what's happening and to to remember so probably i was not that much shaped by the communism era but one thing which i remember is that i was in kindergarten back then and uh when the revolution happened uh, when the whole like east communist bloc fell in uh, late 89 my mom uh, took me out of the kindergarten she she brought me home and then we were like watching on the television what's happened and uh, we saw that uh, Ceausescu, the, the dictator that we had back then, was, was killed. And especially back then, in, in communist uh, times, you were not allowed to say whatever you want. And I know there are regimes still like that uh, today in the world. Um, and then, I guess also back home, the parents, especially with, with kids, they had to make sure that they're only saying good things about the communist regime, because otherwise, kids might overhear them, they might say something bad, and then they might get into trouble. So uh, I, I remember asking my mother, how come like the, the son of the people uh, that everybody loves, how come they killed them? What happened then? Uh, but obviously he was not that well loved as, uh, as uh, people were, were, were saying. Uh, so it is a, an interesting um, uh, memory which I have from, from that, that part. But besides that, I cannot say I, I had very much contact with, with that part. I was, I mean, I was too early to, to know anything actually. <laughs> What's interesting is it was probably very impactful to once that change was made to then have other people around you start starting businesses and and start creating things and and seeing like this this explosion of creativity and in new thinking and new thought and innovation that was probably uh probably pretty pretty impactful especially at a young age yeah, so I think obviously when, when this type of regime changes happen and people are allowed to start to go out of the country and they're allowed to have their own business and, and uh, to, uh, to basically explore their business and their creativity, um, a lot of things which happened were just like small shops where people went outside, bought blue jeans or some things which we didn't have uh, back then uh, and then uh, tried to sell them. Uh, brought like uh, color TV screens and things like that. And there were, I think, a lot of like uh, the West World, uh, world type, type of uh, days where anything went, uh, things were like, probably the legislation was not good enough yet. Uh, a lot of things which were shady uh, also happened. So a lot of the entrepreneurs which were brought up in that period when they were like 20 or 30, when that moment happened and they went in from entrepreneurship, I wouldn't say they are the types of entrepreneurs I would look up today, uh, mm. but it was the types of entrepreneurship, the type of entrepreneurship that happened back then, which is probably a step needed uh, to go towards uh, more thoughtful entrepreneurship, more uh, entrepreneurship that looks uh, at the whole picture, uh, takes a longer uh, time horizon view and so on. So I think, I think probably when I was young, I was always saying, Oh, I, I wish I would have been like 20 when, when that moment happened because 
that's when everybody started to make a lot of money and started to build businesses and so on. But since then I've realized that a lot of those businesses maybe would have even been a business that I would have not been proud of or um, something which didn't endure because they were not built on solid grounds. So today with, with the um, internet and uh, with the possibilities uh, that we have uh, in front of us, I think there is even more possibility and probably even more possibilities coming our way. We just have to really uh, make the best uh, use of our time and really take advantage of this. That's such an interesting point of once they could, everybody probably just started whatever first came to mind. There was no regulation. So it was like the wild, wild west. That's actually very reminiscent of the early 1900s in America. I mean, that was that was still the the wild west. I mean, you had and and even earlier, even even in the the eighteen hundreds. But I'm thinking specifically of when, like when when organized crime really got started. I mean, you know, I've I've studied a lot of of organized crime, and and I'm actually Jewish, so I pay attention to the to the Jewish side of organized crime in the United States, and there was a lot of influence there. And what was interesting was you saw like the first and maybe second generation of, of Jewish immigrants coming over. A lot of them went into crime and, and they started doing things that some parts of it were uh, legal. Some parts of it were definitely not. But then, like you said, it, it almost seems like they had to go through that and, you know, and, and people had to kind of break things for us to know like what's broken and how to fix it. And then later on now, generations later, now it's it's more legitimate. There's rules and regulations, and it seems like we're all, we're moving in the right direction there. But it, it's to me, it's very interesting the the similarities there. Um, I don't know. That's just fascinating to me. Yeah, it is. Probably it's it's just how things need to progress. Uh, you can see these type of progressions in the in general in the types of business which which are happening throughout the decades in, in different places of the world. Um, and it's really interesting to see how trends take over. Uh, how they start in one place and then they, especially nowadays when we're so uh, interconnected, how they take over the whole world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when you were going, going through school and, and, you know, progressing, you're, you're a young man at that point, what was life like for you? I mean, were you excited about school? Did you, you know, did, did you have like this idea of, okay, I need to go to school, get a job or like, what, what, what did that actually look like for you? So I was a relatively good student um, without probably trying too hard. If I would have uh, tried harder, I would have probably be, uh, been a very good student. Um, but I think I also had like more diverse interests. Um, and I also uh, learned quite early on that I like the whole uh, IT space. Uh, I like computers, but not um, playing computer games as most people or most kids at, at my age back then. But even from an early age, I liked to, to program and to see what other tools and software out, uh, exist out there. Um, and I'm actually probably lucky that I was not like dragged into the whole uh, playing a lot of computer games part, uh, because I guess I used my time to back then learn how to build websites. And then I could build the first website for free. And then the next one, uh, I got even uh, got paid uh, to build it and so on. Um, so that, that was an early, uh, early passion. And one more moment, which I remember um, uh, fondly actually is 
I think I was in my uh, 11th grade. So in the summer break between the 11th and 12th grade, I had actually two jobs. Uh, one uh, was designing a website for uh, somebody I knew who was paying me for that. And then another job, uh, which took about one week, we basically did almost like an internship uh, at the, the factory of uh, the, the dad of one of our friends. And that was like hard physical job. And in the same week, I was doing like a hard physical eight hours type of job and then going back home and building that website. And actually funny enough, they also paid the same. So I realized quite uh, quite uh, uh, early on that it, it pays at least for me to, to focus on, on these things which uh, also uh, spark more joy for me, uh, which I was good at uh, and which um, I think I realized uh, relatively early on that can also scale much better than doing a, a job which uh, doesn't scale for you. And it also seems like, you know, you're, you're getting a workout either way, but one of them might, <laughs> might be with, you know, with your arms and, and, and your legs and the other, the other is more mental. That was something that, that was something I, that I think I realized early too, was like, I want to, I want to build things with, with my mind. Like I want to build things with my thoughts and, and my creativity and like, you know, I, I have so much respect for people who can build things with their hands and, and, you know, who can, you know, who can work with different tools and, and do all that stuff with their hands. But I don't know, just to me, there's just something magical about like thinking about something and like seeing it in your mind and then being able to create that, uh, you know, purely with, with, you know, maybe typing on a computer or, or just having a conversation and then other people can build it. There's just something magical about that. Yeah, I agree. And from time to time, I also have this impulse almost to try to build something which is in the physical world. Uh, as you said, like with my hand, uh, I, I say from time to time that I would really want to build like a desk, a wooden desk uh, or something like that. Um, I, I, I say I, do, I want to do it, but I didn't do it until now. Uh, I still want to do it at one point. And I think the world will also move into this direction where because we're so... Um, so much on our phones all day, on our laptops, uh, sitting uh, in, in a chair uh, 8, 12, 14 hours a day and so on, that people will want to also go back to some more, uh, like go back to the roots and do something more in the nature or uh, try to, to build something with their own hands and so on. So I think that that time is also coming. Uh, um, there was obviously a time where people did a lot of things with their hands. Now it's, it's mostly with our brains, as you say. Uh, but I'm guessing there will be a time when a better balance will have to be found. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting mentioning nature because I, I actually love nature. I love being out there and like walking around and seeing stuff. Uh, but, but I actually just finished this book uh, sitting on my, on my desk right there. It's, it's called My Life in Advertising by Claude C. Hopkins. Oh, man, that's a powerful book. But one of the things he was saying uh, more towards the end was, that he loved to be in nature and he loved to be like immersed in, in, you know, the, in, in the environment and in surroundings, you know, like natural uh, things of that, that nature, because it just helped him. And it, and it made, he said it made him a better advertiser. So I actually, I actually think you're right of like, you know, we are so connected and like we're staring at a screen you know, 25 out of 24 hours a day. And <laughs> we're, you know, we're on our phones and our laptops and the TV and all that stuff, like getting out into a, like a place where there are no screens, it actually might be helpful, might make you better at uh, 
better what you do when you are looking at the screens. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one thing which I really like uh, to do a lot because I don't do a lot of sports, but I like to obviously listen to podcasts and audiobooks. So um, especially if I if I don't need to go somewhere, uh, so I have that time to listen, I just get out of the house and walk. And uh, I'm here in Frankfurt, Germany right now. So we have a nice river here, the, the River Mine. So I just try to walk next to the river while I'm listening to, to my podcast or to my audiobooks. And I feel I get uh, both a workout of my brain and a bit of a movement. I wouldn't call it a, a workout, but sometimes I do take long walks. So it might count a bit. Dude, I do the same thing. That is so cool. It's because I'm, I'm right on the levee here in, in New Orleans. You know, we're below sea level, so got to have the levee to, to protect us. But like walking on it on the top and just being able to see everything and walk around but learn at the same time. Oh man, there's something magical about that. So I wanna I wanna kind of shift gears back to uh, back to your story. Um, when you were when you were starting your first company, why did you decide to start that company at that time? So um, if we're talking about like the the very first one. Uh, that was when I was still in the university and I did a software for dental practices. Um, and I think uh, it just came uh, because somehow I was always attracted to this CRM area um, and uh, keeping track of the records and so on. And I got in, in contact with a, a dentist that wanted to build such a software himself as well. So I had the technical expertise, he had the know-how of the domain. Uh, also a bit of contact. So I also had a lot of time because I was still in university so I could do that. Um, so th that's how I got started with, uh, with my first uh, startup actually, uh, which, which showed me that besides building the technical part, that's, that's sometimes just the easy part. That's when the marketing and the sales and um, getting customers part comes into play. And that's, that's not an easy part. Uh, we, I, we did get a few customers and it was, especially back then as a university student, uh, it was good beer money, uh, but uh, <laughs> it didn't take off uh, further than that. Um, but if I'm going to think about my previous startup, uh, which is Nugget, uh, which uh, was the predecessor of, of Social Bee, uh, basically that was an app which brought quotes from business and personal development books. And this came uh, from uh, my, my passion of reading uh, business books. I used to read a lot, I used to highlight them, uh, but most of the time didn't go back to the highlights. And especially back then, a few years ago, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, um, quotes started to blow up on, on Facebook and uh, on Instagram and so on. <clears throat> Plus Tinder was becoming a thing. So we mixed all of this together and basically we, we uh, uh, pulled these quotes from business books. We put them on a nice image, like uh, these type of images that you can share on social. And the app actually was like a Tinder-like app where you could swipe right if you like that quote, swipe left if you didn't. And basically it was like an interesting way for you to either find out about the new book which you might want to read or remind yourself of the main concepts of a book that you've read. And <clears throat> it was a, a, an interesting concept, um, but uh, we realized that even though people were saying that they, they loved the app, we didn't actually see them come back in the stats. Uh, so uh, it was, uh, they, they did use it, but just when they re remembered, <clears throat> just from time to time, um, because it was more of a vitamin than a painkiller. 
So that was mm -hmm. another lesson that we learned that besides building a product and marketing it, you also need to make sure that there are people willing to, to pay uh, money for that specific product. But the nice part was that while building Nugget, we were generating a lot of evergreen content in, in the forms of summaries and these quotes. Um, and we were sharing them on social. Plus we found out about a few techniques which worked to, to grow our audience, uh, especially on Twitter back then, but on social in general. And basically we hacked together a system with third party tools, with some of our software, some of our methodology and so on, which worked and it helped us grow Nugget. And at one point we realized that hmm, maybe that part is more interesting and more valuable and that we can sell that uh, as a standalone part. Uh, and that's how we first uh, got actually our first customer because uh, somebody just, uh, um, I, I talked uh, with them about like entrepreneurship and their stuff top in general. And then I was mentioning them what we are doing on social and so on. And they said, okay, uh, I want to, uh, to use this service. And that's how we got also our first customer. That's amazing. Uh, so I, I want to break this down. So the first or nugget rather was this idea of exploring quotes and providing quotes to people where they could swipe right if they liked it, swipe swipe left if they didn't, and they would learn about new books, learn about quotes, uh, get a refresher on, on on old books. Was there a was there a way where they could click to buy the book and they would use your affiliate link or something like that? Like, what was the revenue model there? How are you gonna How are you gonna monetize that? Yeah, indeed. So that that was one of the uh, revenue models which we had, uh, I think, almost from the beginning. But in order to make a sustainable business from an affiliate uh, Amazon uh, purchase, especially if people are just purchasing that book, you have to have a ton of volume. Uh, so that means that you have to have a lot of users and a lot of them have to be coming back on a consistent basis and then actually buying those books. So we did make some revenue, but not even close to, to making it into a nice and profitable business. And we knew that if we would manage to grow it further, it could still be a good business, but it would have been still a vitamin, not a painkiller. So it would have always been like an uphill battle. Uh, while, while with Social B, it turned out that people are needing these services, uh, these, these products, and they're willing to pay for them. So it's a much more straightforward uh, type of uh, a business model. That's magical. So you realized from early, early on this whole concept of we would rather have a painkiller than a vitamin. So let, let's actually talk about that a little bit more because I think there is a huge, tremendously powerful lesson to be learned here. Um, did you come into it thinking thinking that or like how did you realize that what you were building was was more of a vitamin than a painkiller um so actually with with nugget <clears throat> we did try to have some early validation so we did have an mvp uh we did have some metrics for that validation to happen and what happened was that i i read uh, uh, peter thiel's book zero to one i made the highlights together with the designer we created these first nuggets uh, so these images, <clears throat> we created a, a SlideShare power, uh, a SlideShare deck, which we put on SlideShare. We had a landing page, and then we said, "People, look, these are like ten quotes from this book. If you want more, you can opt in with your email here and get a PDF with 100 more quotes." And we said that if we would get um, 
I think about 100 emails uh, uh, for, for that specific uh, opt-in, then we would consider that there's enough demand. So we would uh, uh, turn this into a real app and into a real business and so on. And we were uh, quite lucky that um, LinkedIn actually picked up our uh, PowerPoint. Uh, uh, so LinkedIn, which, which owns uh, SlideShare. So SlideShare basically uh, picked up the PowerPoint and they uh, made it, uh, I think they, they highlighted it for, on their website for a bit. So quite quickly, we grew to a few thousand views on the SlideShare and uh, to uh, a few hundred emails. So then we said, oh, this must be a good uh, idea. People are willing to give us the email address which we've since, uh, since then uh, found out that email addresses don't always uh, also mean uh, revenue and dollars, or you would need to have a lot of those email addresses to, to have a, a significant amount of dollars. But we did validate it to some extent. And I think I was also quite eager to jump back into entrepreneurship back then. So even having a bit of a validation uh, probably already made me blind to everything else. And I just jumped uh, right into it which I definitely don't regret because otherwise we would have not got, uh, we would have not gotten on the path to seeing that, okay, this was actually just a, a vitamin, not a painkiller. And then what else can we do, which is actually a painkiller, uh, which uh, can solve uh, people's problem much better. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that's how, uh, how our initial validation didn't turn out to be uh, a business validation, just like a, a nice fun project validation. That's interesting. So you actually went through the process of, of testing and saying, hey, if we get a certain number of, of opt-ins or certain number of people saying they want this, then we'll, we'll consider running with it. And then a big company like, like LinkedIn picked, up, picked it up and, and showed it to even more people. I mean, that is validation. That, that's awesome. So that's really cool that that happened in the beginning. And it's interesting how then in your search for a better way to get more people, you built this, this system or, or the software, uh, you know, what is now uh, social B, you know, you built this thing kind of under the hood where, you know, I, people probably didn't see that happening. All they saw was, it was the nugget piece. Um, and then you realize, okay, this is the gold. This is the thing that's actually, cause it's solving your own problem. And so it seemed like that probably clicked up, oh, if this solves our own problem, wow, this probably solves a lot of other people's problems too. So how did you um, make that transition when you were like, okay, we're doing this, but we have this and we want to go with this. How do we, how do we pivot? How do we do that effectively? Yeah, so actually, um, let me tell you a bit about the first version of Social Bee that we, we've actually got to sell, because I don't know if you know how uh, hacked together it was. So basically, the first version, so you now know Social Bee, it has categories for your content, which then you can share on a consistent basis on your social, it does recycling within those content categories and so on. But the first version, all of this engine of the content where you store it how you set up the schedule and so on actually happened in Google Sheets. So basically you had a Google Sheet where each sheet had some specific columns uh, and each post had a, a specific way uh, that, that you would have to write in those sheets. And then there was another sheet where you would set up your schedule again with some specific type of uh, scenarios. And then there was the master sheet where actually uh, there were a lot of relatively complex uh, formulas, uh, Excel formulas, which 
made it so we would always know what would be the next post that we need uh, to take, which should be the next category and which should be the next post from within that category. And then on top of this sheet, we also had Zapier, which is uh, one of my favorite tools, which integrates any almost any other uh, uh, tools which have APIs nowadays. Um, and then with the Zapier thing, uh, whenever uh, we knew that we needed to post something, uh, basically we took the next post um, um, and we send it actually to Buffer, uh, which is now also a competitor of ours, and we use their posting uh, mechanism to post on those social profiles. So it was like piggybacking on, on competitors. It was uh, using um, various like duct tape together type of solutions and also a lot of manual work uh, as well in the beginning because all of these had to be set up manually for each customer and so on. But especially considering that we managed to sell for the first customer this like very rudimentary, very early stage version of Social B uh, with a bit of a service on top because as I said, there were some manual parts involved as well. Uh, we, we realized that, okay, it's not only us who ha have this problem and who are willing to pay for it. We also have customers who, who are willing to do that. And then um, together with my co-founder who used to be my co-founder at, at Nugget as well, and he's now also the CTO co-founder at Socialbee. At one point we, we said, okay, uh, the Socialbee thing, even though it's very early on, we can already see people who are willing to pay for it. While with Nugget, we just keep adding, we put, put in more time and we're actually like putting more money from our own pockets into that. Uh, and initially we thought, okay, let's just fade it out. But we realized that, okay, if we want to uh, really uh, focus on social B, we should do that. And we stopped working on Nugget altogether. At one point we managed to, to sell it to somebody who, who was in the same space and could uh, use what we built and our audience and so on. But since that moment, we, we stopped everything on Nugget and, and focused on social B. And I think it was the right decision for us. Absolutely. So I didn't realize how much you had you had kind of piecemealed those different pieces in the beginning that is phenomenal because like i believe me man i have put together like like all of those different pieces and the mechanisms of different processes together too like i'm not at the level that that you guys were doing it but like man i have so much respect for for that kind of stuff like i get it like there, there's a certain flow of like, okay, this has to happen, which sets this off, which sets this off, which goes here. This needs to trigger that, which Zapier did this and that and the other. And like, man, that's so exciting to like build it and see the full thing. That That's so exciting. So to me, the fact that you had customers willing to pay for that in the beginning at that stage, that is magical because once you start getting that revenue in on that model, I mean, it can only get better from there. It can only get better from there. And now, like, I love social media. I use it all the time. And I have, like, you know, I, I recommend it to, to all, of, all of my friends and, and a ton of people and to everybody who's watching and listening. If you're trying to, like, make your social media strategy much easier and to seriously take a huge load off of your shoulders – I highly recommend it. I mean, it, I put it on my resources page. It's awesome. Um, anyways, like to get that revenue in on the beginning and to use that to then fuel it and make it better and better and better, man, that is so exciting. So how did you go through the process of iterating? Because it seems like the core thing has to work. What people buy initially has to work. Then you have to be upgrading it and making it better. But you can't break the old one to make the new one work, or maybe you can, 
how do you actually go about upgrading and making it better at the same time serving the customers who are already paying you? I think the nice part, especially in the early days, or at least of how we got our first customers was that the first customers are always by definition early adopters. They're the ones which are willing to, to try out something which obviously doesn't look like it has a good UX because it's Google Sheets and you're not thinking about Google Sheets when you're thinking of a scheduling system. Um, and who, you know, some things have to like, if you wanted to set up an RSS feed to go to one of those categories, you had to email me that feed. I would hook it up in Zapier, send it to the right uh, sheet uh, and so on. So uh, obviously it was a hacked together system uh, but it worked at least to, to some extent and for the early adopter ones. Uh, so they were happy to, to give us uh, a help, helping hand basically to, to, to use the, the app in, in that uh, stage. And the early adopters are the people who are looking for these type of uh, solutions. They're willing and, and they're actually happy to, to try out your software while it's still in beta phase uh, to give you feedback and so on. So basically what we did is that uh, even though we had the initial version in, in these Google Sheets uh, uh, and in, in Zapier integrations and so, and so on, we started to pull out the core into Social B. So started to create the, the content repository directly into Social B. Then the scheduling, uh, then the posting, which we moved from, from Buffer directly to Social B. And then piece by piece, we moved things from the Zapier realm into Social B. Like for example, the RSS feeds, were one of the last which we moved from social media because it was also an important feature and it's also one of an, uh, of, of an important feature that we have today but it was also something which was not that quick and easy to build uh, so we, we kept uh, postponing that one so basically just one by one we started to to pull all, all of those things from the hacked together solution into the real one while building better uh, ux uh, more functionality more flexibility uh, and so on that's awesome. I, I love, I love, love, love getting like an inside peek into, into one of these, the tools that I love so much, because to me, like, that's so exciting. I mean, you're, you're literally like building something and creating something that doesn't exist. And now you're making it exist. That's so cool. That's so phenomenal to me. So I know where it is now. I'm, I'm you know, I'm intimately familiar with the, with the tool. Um, and I'm excited to learn, like, where's it going? Like, like, where's the future of, of social be? How's it going to improve? How's it going to get better? And, and like, where do you see it going, uh, you know, in the, the, the years to come? Yeah, so one of the, the struggles which we have is that social be is extremely powerful, but then we also need to make sure that we bring that power in a easy to use uh, matter, especially for people who are just starting on or who are not familiar with uh, category-based posting systems that can also do uh, evergreen content recycling. So that's one of the things that we, we're always working on to keep improving the onboarding flow, uh, the UX and UI and so on. And beside that, we have some major initiatives that, uh, that we're working on. So we want to make it even more powerful for agencies. Uh, we recently uh, released the workspaces and user and roles functionality. We're now working on providing comments, uh, internal comments on each of the posts. So you can work in a team and for example, you can have a VA or somebody from our concierge team who creates posts for you. And then you can say, uh, actually here, I would like you to do this type of post uh, rather that one. So give direct feedback on the post. Uh, we are also uh, working on building more uh, reporting and also uh, uh, insights into your analytics. 
And then also a unified inbox is something that we're looking at. So you can reply to all of your comments from across uh, social from one unified dashboard. There is a lot of, of, of uh, things to do and a, a lot of work. Uh, our internal uh, roadmap, so we have a Trello where we track all of the tasks that we're planning to build and we keep uh, building them. Uh, we keep uh, uh, moving those tasks from uh, to do to done and so on. But somehow, instead of having less tasks, we always end up having more because ideas <laughs> pop up uh, every day, both from us and from our customers. Um, and there's, there's so much that we want you to build. Uh, but it's it, it's just it's it's an exciting time, and especially in the social uh, sphere, everything is changing so rapidly. Um, even though um, it's been just like a few years that we've been on the market, uh, things have been cha have been changing a lot and are, are constantly changing. So that's that also what makes this exciting. Absolutely. So I'm curious about a couple features, and then and then I'm also curious about like the actual core of the of of like the the software like the the heartbeat of it so as far as like a few specific features one of the things that i really like is the ability to build one post like like i can go in and start typing and then it will create it for all of the different channels right and then you can go customize by each channel if you like what i've noticed is or or maybe you know maybe y'all are already working on this but would there ever be a way where we could like type in the actual content and have like a separate, almost like a separate piece that comes on after where we can put in like all the hashtags we want to use throughout the thing. So it's like we put the hashtags in a separate in like a separate box over here. We create the content and then as the content's going out, it, you know, it randomly pulls 20, 25 hashtags, whatever, and sticks it on as it's going out to each platform. Is that is that possible? Uh, yes. So for sure, we we have something which we call a hashtag library on our roadmap. It's so we have a public roadmap which people can find at socialb.io/roadmap. But we just put there like very high level tasks and tasks which are like bigger chunks that that we need to to do. But this one is on our internal roadmap. Uh, I don't think we will do it uh, as a random thing, uh, rather than you would have to, you will have your predefined library where you can set specific hashtags and then put a name on those hashtags and then uh, then you would have to select them. And why we don't like to do like spin tags or this type of random things is because we feel that by putting a bit more effort and consciousness into those posts, they do better. So, mm. but for example, you could create five of these uh, variations of those hashtags and you would always choose the one which you think makes most sense for that specific post. Uh, but this is something that uh, is definitely on our roadmap. Yeah, that's interesting because like what I, what I always think of is, man, it'd be really cool if, you know, I could, I could be able to like keep adding new hashtags into this library as I find new ones that I want to target and have that mix in with the old ones and, you kind of have that automatically like like cycle through them in a way that I can still be exposed to the old ones and the new ones and not really have to go in and, and tailor my content. That was just something I was thinking. Um, the other thing I was thinking is, do you ever see a future where um, you have like, like predefined boxes where you're like, okay, put your content here, put your link here, um, put whatever here and then you basically have like little formats like okay you want the link first here's a template link last here's a template something like that to where 
they don't people don't have to go in and like they can but they don't have to customize for each one they could just say here's the content now let social be put it together in the best way and send it out in the most palatable form uh that's native to each platform yeah so a lot of times we might release a small functionality which you might not think is like doing that much or is not that interesting or maybe sometimes we're building some things on, under the hood which people don't even see but which lay the foundation for something else and one of the functionalities which we recently released or semi relatively recently let's say so is the post variations where basically for each post you can say okay i want to create one more variations variation of the same post and at the moment you would have to change it as you want so there's no templating system but we build that with that uh, exact templating system in mind as well. So that one will be coming as well. Uh, we are still working on uh, making sure that um, also from a um, um, performance point of view, it's, it's going properly because uh, it should also move uh, nice and smooth and fast. Uh, but it's something that's definitely also on our roadmap. That's awesome because you know I, I, I love being able to go to post on Pinterest and I know that I always have to go into the variations for Pinterest. And it would seem like if I could just use like the what you have for Pinterest, if that could be like the main one and, and then, you know, like use that as the as the main uh, thing where you input all the stuff like your link here, your board here. And it could be like for Pinterest, it could be board for Twitter. It could be your list or or. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever yeah. is appropriate for the platform. And that way you don't have to break it down and you can, that way you can duplicate it more easily and create those variations. Um, anyway, so that's very exciting. And, and I think about all these things cause I'm like, man, this is really exciting. So those are kind of some of the features that I, I wanted to talk about. I was curious about interesting that y'all had a, a similar thought too. And you're, and you're already kind of building on these things. The other thing I wanted to ask was, is there any, uh, any future you see where, you start to build um, more of more of an AI centric core to social beware. People put in the content, but the algorithm actually finds out. Okay, this is the best time to post it. This is the best template to use. Like we basically, as users, put in the content that we want, or or even maybe even we put in like a link to one of our blog posts, and the AI goes and pulls the best stuff and posts it at the right time on the right channels and. Uh, recycles it at the at the proper thing is there a future where you see that ai coming and being like the the heartbeat the core of the of the platform so we keep looking at ai uh with the social lens from time to time and there are multiple way, uh, places where we want to to integrate ai in some the technology is already there like to to give you the best times to post and we are already using some things there to to give you like that uh, uh, when you first go into the schedule, you can uh, use uh, our suggestions for posting times. Uh, so there is a, a bit of, uh, of uh, an algorithm there which, which helps you with that. But one thing which uh, we are really excited for is, as you said, basically a moment when you will be able to just give a link and then that's it. And we take care of the post, uh, maybe even of the image and so on. And I don't think we're there yet with the technology uh, right now. Uh, I think there is still uh, a need for a human to do double check and to make sure that uh, what we pulled from that link is really, it makes sense, it's uh, engaging, it's, it's relevant and so on. Um, and uh, as you, you might know, besides the uh, do-it-yourself uh, social B tool, 
which you're also using, we also have done for you concierge services. So this is where basically our team of uh, bees, how we call our colleagues who are uh, delivering these services, can actually go in and create those posts for you. And the plan is to basically always, I, I think uh, for the next years to come, uh, the fully automated AI model is not the right way to go, mm. but rather a hybrid uh, cyborg model, as I like to call it, where AI comes and does the first part of the job for you, but then it's still a human that double checks and, and makes sure that it makes sense from a human point of view, not only from a robot's point of view. Uh, but it's, it's definitely a direction that we're looking uh, at uh, from time to time, uh, and we will uh, be moving in, in that part as well. We just need to uh, always juggle with, with so many priorities and so many uh, features that we want to build. I bet. I bet. You know, there's a million different ways to to go about it and things to do and things to add. And, you know, I'm sure you have so many customers that everybody has their own specific way they want to use it. So, you know, something that I'm asking about, somebody else may say, well, that's not important. I don't want you to do that. I want you to focus on what I'm thinking about. Um, but, you know, I, I think y'all are doing a, a fantastic job and I'm so grateful that uh, y'all created that tool because uh, I use it all the time and I love it. So, Thank you very much for that. Makes Thank my you very life. much for, for saying that. And indeed, I think with, with product development in general, it's important to, to gather all of the questions and feedback uh, of, of, our, of your customers and make sure that they're, they're, they're your actual um, base that you want to sell to and not just like a random person that is not in your target audience. But then to really understand what lies underneath the request. Uh, because a lot of times, uh, people are coming with their solution already. And their solution might work, as you said, for them, but maybe it's not the right solution for everybody. And maybe if you really read uh, in between the lines or really understand what's at the root of the request, you can come up with a better solution, which probably is going to be uh, better for them as well, but also for, for more of your uh, users or customers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I love that, I, that idea of understanding like what people are actually asking for. And I think that goes back to, you know, the, the Ford model of, you know, if he would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I think that's, I think it's wonderful. So, um, Avi, I want to, I want to thank you very, very much, uh, for, for coming on the show. Um, I know I've been uh, peppering you with questions here at the end, especially about, uh, social be, so I appreciate you being, uh, gracious in, in answering those and kind of sharing your vision of, of what's to come. Um, it's very, very exciting. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a happy customer, so I'm excited to see how that evolves over time. Uh, I do have one more question for you. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, but what question should I be asking you that, I just wouldn't think to ask. Um, how can you scale a technology company through services? And how do you do that? <laughs> so, um, as I told you in the early days, Social B was actually a lot of hacked together things, which basically anybody who is not a developer could do. Uh, and then also a layer of service on top of it. Um, and uh, basically we, we started heavily on the services side and then we built the technology so it's better and better so people can use it without any uh, involvement from our services arm. But we always did that by thinking of services also in a scalable way, in a productized way. 
uh, we always were thinking uh, when we did like the initially we had the Twitter growth service and the content curation service and then the social media specialist service, we were, were always thinking how can we scale that? Because people, when I tell them about our service part of the business, they say ah, services that doesn't scale. And then I remind them of uh, McDonald's or even uh, McKinsey or um, all of these big companies which are scaling through through humans and it's definitely still scalable. It's obviously a different type of scaling and it requires a different skill set, but you can still scale through through processes and procedures and trainings and so on. And the nice part is that while doing this, and especially if you do it in a very structured way, you will find pieces which you did uh, by hand, which you can automate and build into the, the tool and into the technology part of it. And at one point, if you manage to uh, to build everything which you were doing by hand uh, into the tool, that's great. Or if you end up with a hybrid model like, like we did, where we know that some customers want to just use the tool and do it themselves, while some just care about the results and want us to take care of everything else, that's fine as well. Uh, but especially people, and especially developers, uh, who are trying to, to start a business shouldn't only, uh, always think about, okay, how can I solve this through technology? Because most of the times when you're starting a startup and if it's not a proven model or not a proven space, you will build so much software just to find out that nobody cares about the specific functionality, um, either functionality or startup altogether. While if you do it through, through services at first, you will see if people are willing to pay, you will see what their concerns are, and you will know what you need to do from a services point of view. So by the time you build the technology, you won't have to build it and rebuild it again. You will know what needs to be done uh, from the first try. That's powerful. And, and I think you make such a great point. Um, so thank you very much. I, I very, uh, very much appreciate your time and, uh, and I appreciate the conversation and, uh, and all the things that you shared. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you too. It was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I, I really enjoyed both the um, walk back on the memory lane from the beginning and then also the, <laughs> the conversation, which, which brought us more to today. So thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, thank you to everybody else who's uh, watching and listening as well. Um, Y'all are the best. So thanks for, thanks for coming back and, uh, and, and being, um, you know, awesome people that, who are, who are part of the community and, and, you know, part of the show. Uh, y'all make this, uh, y'all make this happen. And, you know, my whole goal is to really help y'all turn your dreams into reality. So, um, thanks for, uh, being here so I can, I can, uh, try to do that for you and, and try to try to serve you. So, um, thank you again. Thank you to everybody. And I will see you all on the next episode. Take care now.